Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No him. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaign. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, you just should watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us again this week. A lot going on as Judicial Watch stands for you, the American people in the courts and elsewhere as we try to defend the rule of law and promote government accountability. We have a major new lawsuit uh, about the issue of reparations, which is one of the big left-wing issues out there. Plus, I have an important update on a case over whether Congress has the right to spy on you with impunity and involves none other than, you probably will guess, Adam Schiff. Uh, And on top of that, we've got this unprecedented assault on our Constitution uh, by the radical left as well. Now, I guess I'll start uh, talking about that because it's in the news, which is the latest move by certain members of Congress to introduce legislation to pack the Supreme Court. They want to increase the size of the Supreme Court, more or less, from nine members, where it has been for, uh, I think, about 150 years or so, uh, to 13 members. So they not only want to add three more members to make up, evidently, for the presidential appointments of President Trump, but one more on top of that. So essentially would make a, uh, ensure uh, a radical majority of the court for their agenda uh, for as long as they are able to prevent Republicans from coming into office, which is uh, evidently their goal, uh, to add more members to the Supreme Court to undo the original court packing. And, you know, that's why court packing is such a threat to our constitutional order. Our constitutional republic uh, and the Constitution itself lays out the three branches of government, the judiciary, the executive, and the legislator. The legislative branch obviously uh, predominates, I think. Uh, The executive branch uh, is controlled by the president of the United States, and the judiciary uh, is... uh, Uh, includes the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, by statute, meaning they don't need to change the Constitution in order to expand or contract. um, Well, maybe they do have to in order to contract, uh, but uh, they can't, they can by statute expand the number of uh, judgeships, both at the federal courts, at the lower court level, and in the Supreme Court. And the last president to attempt to uh, pack the court was uh, FDR, and uh, that effort was turned aside by his own party who thought it was a bridge too far. And what you do by court packing is it ties explicitly, at least as the left is trying to push it, uh, the change of power by poli- in Congress to the nature of the Supreme Court. So, th- so it undermines the idea that the court is above politics. It undermines the idea that the court uh, is a is a uh, a co-equal branch of government. It undermines the idea that uh, the court is can be accounted upon to apply the law in a neutral manner, in a manner free from political bias. Now, yes, I understand the court is currently made up, and as in the past, often is politicized. 
but we shouldn't be trying to further politicize it and further undermine uh, really the kind of tenuous uh, 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 protection we have against uh, government that oftentimes wants to encroach on our liberties, encroach on our constitutional freedoms, uh, encroach, on, encroach on our God-given rights. Uh, because if the court's working well, the Supreme Court, it preserves our, it, it can protect us from violations in that regard. But the left doesn't want the court to get in the way of its agenda, so they want to overthrow it. And let me be clear, you are overthrowing the Supreme Court by politicizing it in such a radical way. Now, many sensible Democrats, and there are some, believe it or not, uh, I know all of you, uh, many of you watching are conservatives and think, oh, the Democrats, they're all terrible people. Well, they're not. I mean, first of all, a lot of them are your neighbors, and you probably know a few. Uh, you know, uh, but my point is, there's a there's a, the the Democratic Party putting on my political analyst hat is in a in a bit of a a, a heated debate now between to put it charitably, the old guard, liberals, and the rising and ascendant communist wing. And the rising and ascendant communist wing, the radical extremists in the party, want to blow up the Constitution. They don't believe in the Constitution. They don't believe in America. They want to end the country as we know it. And so they're assaulting the court. And so what will happen if the court is packed? Well, they're hoping the court then starts uh, issuing decisions that would make it nearly impossible for their political opposition to come back into power. But secondly, it would, if the political opposition comes back into power, namely Republicans, it would lead to the court getting expanded and expanded and expanded so that it would be seen by the American people as just another political body and its um, decisions similarly distrusted and maligned. And it would lose its ability to effectively check the political party uh, in power, either in the executive branch or Congress, as the Constitution, in theory, designed it to do. And so without that check in place, our Constitution ends. So I tweeted out, or I didn't tweet out because I'm still locked out of Twitter. I guess I'll get into that a little bit later. The um, I, As I put out on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram, uh, that I fear for the future of our country with this court packing scheme. I fear that uh, our constitution could end as we know it and our country could end as we know it. I mean, if you want to destroy people's confidence in the fair administration of justice, turn the Supreme Court into, uh, you know, essentially a congressional commission. It's just awful. And there are other instances, at least in the recent history, of countries where in Venezuela, for instance, their system prior to Chavez coming in was very much like the U.S.'s. But Chavez, being the communist he was, uh, didn't like the idea of a court getting in the way of his uh, revolutionary agenda. And essentially, he packed it. And uh, we know what the history of Venezuela has been like since. It's a, the country is now controlled by a communist cabal. Is that what we want for the United States? And it's not even just a policy, it's not even a policy issue. This is a question of whether we're going to have a constitutional government or not. And whether by statute, Congress will abuse its power to undo uh, the Supreme Court and its role in our nation's public life. 
Now, that all being said, I don't think the court's above the law any more than Congress is above the law or the president's above the law. And I reject the notion of uh, what I call judicial supremacy, uh, where the court um, uh, exceeds its authority to overturn well-considered and good faith and constitutional legislation and uh, uh, other actions by the people's elected representatives. But that's not the debate the left is having. The debate the left wants to have is we want ours on the court and we're going to destroy yours. Now, Joe Biden, again, is walking the line here uh, and uh, he appointed a commission which is controlled by the left that is, I think, likely to endorse some type of court backing plan. And so the left doesn't want to go that fast in terms of packing the court, but the writing's on the wall. You got to hand it to the left. They plan to win. They know what they want and they begin creating the uh, all the, uh, I guess, uh, they start uh, managing the battlefield space so that victory is better ensured. That's what they do on elections. And that's what they're doing on uh, and and uh, with this commission program and such. And now the legislation, which advances the ball even further. Everyone's making big noise, uh, big news. You know, everyone's pretending it's big news that Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to bring this to the floor. Well, no, that, what is she going to say? She didn't want to bring impeachment to the floor. And then 10 minutes later, practically speaking, she did. She knows who butters her bread in that regard. The radical left. So this is a very dangerous game President Biden is playing with this commission. It's a dangerous game the left is playing. Uh, and I mean, uh, liberals are playing by countenancing uh, and uh, condoning, even talking about blowing up the court. I don't know about you, but if I had this idea, well, let's just end the Constitution. Let's end representative government. You'd be thinking, well, that's dangerous. You shouldn't talk about that. But what if a president said, well, let's have a commission about ending representative government? And the response is, well, that commission won't recommend it. Well, you know, you don't even want to be debating it, do you? <laughs> to, have it, to have the debate is dangerous. So if others have said they're playing with fire here, you know, they're pretending to be outraged. And now the big lie is that Trump packed the court by Judge Garland uh, being rejected by Republicans. I mean, that was a, you know, that wasn't court packing. That was Republicans saying to uh, President Obama, you're on your way out the door. You're not going to get a Supreme Court justice as in the middle of an election season. The Democrats would have done it if the shoe were on the other foot. Indeed, that was the practice in Washington, D.C. The Senate controls the opposite party. The president in an election year on his way out the door doesn't get, <laughs> or even an election year generally, doesn't get to make a Supreme Court pick. And as Ed Whelan, who uh, uh, is a conservative uh, lawyer, expert, constitutionalist, you know, he's observed, uh, he observed this week that, you know, one of the dirty little secrets is the left was happy to see Judge Garland lose. Why? Because they had it in their head. Hillary Clinton was going to win. And then they get a really hardcore Supreme Court justice because Garland wasn't to the left, wasn't left enough for them. So this is all political gamesmanship. And, and, and I don't pretend to say that if the shoe were on the other foot, Republicans would be screaming and all of that in terms of the Gar what happened to Garland. 
but it was politics and it wasn't a, an idea that there was a someone stole a Supreme Court seat. The Constitution sets up an advice and consent procedure for presidential nominees uh, for the Supreme Court and other high offices like that. And that's the result. Sometimes they lose. It's not packing the court. It's absurd. So uh, I don't want you to think my lighthearted way of talking about these things suggests I'm not outraged about it and I'm not nervous about it. You know, I think we're in a revolutionary period here in the United States where the left sees an opportunity, by the left I mean the radical communist left, sees an opportunity to overthrow our government. And they're being, uh, uh, they're being aided and abetted and treated with kid gloves by uh, too many political officials, mostly in the Democratic Party, but some in corporate America who I bet you otherwise nominally are Republicans. And so uh, that, with all that being said, this attack on the Supreme Court is an attack on our constitutional republic. It's fair to say it's a coup. It's a coup against the Constitution and the very notion of three co-equal branches of government with separation of powers and the confidence that you as a citizen can have in the fair administration of the law by the court, which is already on the ropes because too often the court acts political, too political, even under the current system. Because there aren't enough justices on the court who understand their role is to, as Chief Justice Roberts used to say, although he doesn't act that way, just call balls and strikes as opposed to trying to put their thumbs on the scale and, and uh, disguising their political their politi political desires as decisions required by an application of the Constitution. So uh, before I get back I, and, and uh, talking about the extremist left, I don't want to uh, move away from another important topic. I wasn't planning on talking about this, so, uh, but, but it's an important issue. Our friend James O'Keefe has been uh, taken off Twitter. Now, James runs Project Veritas, which is one of the nation's preeminent independent advocacy groups in terms of going out there and using journalism uh, to uncover uh, issues and topics and, and facts that the American people otherwise would never know about. And because he targets uh, the left and their institutions that they control, such as the media, he has been victimized and targeted and uh, he's been wrongly uh, targeted by law enforcement, in my view. Uh, we previously helped him out in the past. I think that's public in terms of trying to help him avoid uh, and push back against this unlawful targeting. So Project Veritas was deleted by Twitter. Their account was suspended, permanently suspended by Twitter. And just this week, James O'Keefe, after he his group issued a series of videos where a CNN employee was admitting they're in the propaganda business, more or less, to uh, drive Trump out of office and other political figures they don't like and uh, how they uh, misuse data and other uh, information to try to scare people on COVID beyond what the data otherwise fairly could uh, be construed to show in terms of uh, 
overstating and uh, uh, really engaging in yellow journalism when it comes to COVID as opposed to a rational fact-based approach on it. So surprise, surprise, Twitter suspended James O'Keefe's account, accusing them of misconduct in some way, having fake accounts, which James uh, completely denies. But, you know, as I've noted elsewhere, this isn't about deleting James O'Keefe. This is about destroying his work. You know, because if you can't talk about what you're doing, especially if you're in the business of educating, you know, he's in the business of educating the American people, of exposing what went on and, and trying to get the word out about it. And he had all these videos up. They're all gone. Now, you'll be able to find them elsewhere, maybe, before they're deleted by other social media. But this is about destroying that work. And it's as oppressive as any dictatorship. And the distinction between private and public in that regard, to me, is increasingly without a difference, a distinction without a difference. I am still locked out of Twitter, believe it or not. January 8th, I was locked out. I had a straightforward tweet about hydroxychloroquine that someone else that I had tweeted previously and someone else had previously complained about it. And Twitter told me specifically it was not found to be in violation of the rules, the exact language. And yet then they then I tweeted it out again and they said, you're in violation of the rules. You have to take it down before you can get back on. I haven't taken it down yet. I haven't taken it down yet. And they have, they've yet to give me a reasonable explanation. But I do know what the explanation is. They don't care about the tweet. That's all pretextual. That's all pretextual. They care about me and what I stand for and what Judicial Watch stands for. I have 1.1, I used to have 1.3 million until they did a purge. I think I have about 1.1 million followers on Twitter. And so uh, they don't like the fact that someone like me has an audience like that. They don't like the fact that I'm a critic of the government. And it doesn't matter who's in government. I'm a critic of the government. One of the things you may not know is we probably sued the Trump administration more than anyone else. And we'll be suing the Biden administration more than anyone else as well. So I'm one of the leading critics of our government as a watchdog in the United States. And Judicial Watch is a worldwide respected organization as a government watchdog. And they've taken off the head of the company from Twitter. How does that make you feel? That's like something that would be done in Hong Kong by the Chinese communists. It really does sound like something like that, doesn't it? And we're going to have more information coming out. I'll give you a little bit of a preview that shows, as I'm sure you probably already suspected, it's not just Twitter and these platforms acting alone. They're acting in concert with political and government officials. So as I said, the distinction between public and private is a distinction that's increasingly without a difference. So James is talking about suing Twitter. I don't know if we'll sue Twitter or not. But you can be sure the censorship will continue unless something is done. 
And something's going to have to be done. And uh, whether it be a change in the law or the courts looking at the changed practices of these companies and the dishonesty thereof, we'll start interpreting the law correctly as opposed to so overbroadly as to provide them widespread immunity for all sorts of misconduct. I mean, Section 230 essentially provides these companies a safe harbor from being held liable if they remove material that is essentially violent or pornographic or otherwise objectionable. Now, typically in that context, otherwise objectionable means stuff that's like violent or pornographic, not stuff that you don't like because of the politics of it. But even beyond that, when they say they are removing things for one reason, when in fact they're not, they're doing it for another reason, they're lying. I think the evidence suggests. And when you're a public company and you lie about the operations of your business, that raises securities issues under law. It raises advertising issues, truth and advertisement requirements and you know, you're lying to the public, the Federal Trade Commission, the Securities Exchange Commission, in terms of lying to shareholders and the public, and potentially the Justice Department if the fraud is significant enough. So this isn't about the First Amendment per se. I mean, it is practically speaking because it's about free speech. But to me, this is about these businesses are lying to us and businesses that lie in the conduct of business, you know, in theory, that's not allowed under law. So you know, James is talking about suing under uh, for defamation, which is you know, possible, but there are other opportunities to hold these companies legally accountable as well. So a lot going on at Judicial Watch. I guess so that's that's the current events section of the uh, update that I'll, I'll move on to uh, other things that we're doing. Uh, we had, speaking of government abuse, and I, you know, I say this often, but I can't say it enough. I love Judicial Watch because we get hold of an issue that's important that otherwise would never be pursued uh, by the dishonest Denzians of Washington, D.C., and specifically, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, the Democrat from California who ran the House Intelligence Committee and was one of the biggest uh, corrupt advocates of the lies and leaks targeting President Trump on Russia, obviously uh, was behind the impeachment hoax against President Trump on uh, the Ukraine issue. And as part of that impeachment inquiry, that was a radical abuse of the impeachment power, uh, an abuse of the president's civil liberties, and I'll tell you why in a sec. Uh, he issued secret subpoenas uh, targeting Rudy Giuliani. And uh, Rudy Giuliani didn't know about the subpoena, otherwise he probably would have objected. And he issued the subpoenas to, it looks like AT&T, I think, I'm not sure if there were other companies involved because we don't have it, which is the point. And of course, AT&T, they're not going to buck the mafia running Congress. And they gave them the records. And then what did Schiff do with them? He published the phone records. Which because, you know, if you get someone's phone records, you also get in turn 
phone material on people they've talked to. So if I call you on the phone and my record subpoenaed, they know I talk to you and your record becomes subpoenaed as well indirectly. And so they published the phone records of Giuliani, Devin Nunes, a sitting member of Congress, John Solomon, a journalist, Victoria Tenzing and Joe DeGeneva, two attorneys, and the president's other attorney at the time, Jay Sekulow, who was representing him in the impeachment issues and the issues that he was facing with the Mueller abuse. So what we did was we said, well, this is a radical abuse of power. Let's get some more information about this star chamber proceeding that issued secret subpoenas. And now, you know, it was targeting President Trump. I mean, typically attorney-client relationships are privileges and are protected. It's part of your civil rights. They're not sacrosanct and they can be overcome in certain limited circumstances, but only with the intervention of a court. Here, they just did an end run around that and violated the president's right to counsel by secretly taking his attorney's records. A disgusting abuse of power. Disgusting and dangerous because it was about Trump. I don't want to understate that it wasn't about Trump. But what happened to Trump, if they can do it to Trump, they can do it to you. And Congress is asserting this right to do whatever it wants in terms of spying on you through subpoenas that will never see the light of day, at least be adjudicated by a court or by or given uh, given to you in a way to give you an opportunity to object to them before a court of law. And so we use um, uh, a common law uh, right of public access to government documents request uh, to try to get these records. We ask Congress for them because Congress exempts itself from the Federal Freedom of Information Act. But our, our allegation is it's still covered by the common law, meaning it's just generally accepted. People have a general right to what the government information about what the government's up to. They don't need, quote, a federal law specifically authorizing it. It's just generally out there in the common law. It's part of the, the legal. It's, it's part of the air, legal air. Uh, we we breathe. And of course, Congress told us no. Schiff told us no. Pelosi's house told us no. And unfortunately, the lower court bought it. And so we were in the appellate court. So what were the arguments that the committee used, the Intelligence Committee and Schiff, to protect the records? They claimed sovereign immunity, which means they can't be sued because they're a certain government entity. The speech or debate clause privilege which is a speech, uh, which is a privilege, uh, which doesn't allow them to abuse the law and certainly doesn't allow them to send a subpoena to a third party and then get it without any accountability uh, or get it, uh, you know, get records about you that otherwise are private without any accountability or court scrutiny. Immunity from FOIA and transparency law generally. The records are, quote, secret. that judicial watch and the public don't need to see them. So they, you say, they say, you don't need to see these. These unprecedented subpoenas, you don't need to see them. So we appealed the decision that kind of blessed that, that essentially said that the court, uh, that Schiff and the House, Nancy Pelosi, have, quote, an absolute, unquote, immunity from inquiries about the subpoenas. 
So our senior attorney, James Peterson, went before a three-judge panel of appeals court judges here in the uh, District of Columbia Circuit at the U.S. Court of Appeals. So just so you know, you may not follow these as closely as I do, even though I'm not, I'm not a lawyer, I, I know what the process is. So when you make a federal claim, you're before a U.S. District Court judge. That's the, the standard federal court judge you may generally know about. And if you don't like what the, the court judge rules in that regard, you can take it up to the circuit court judges, the appellate court judges. And beyond that, the next level up is the Supreme Court. So we're before the three-judge panel. And um, uh, we issued the uh, transcript because I think the transcript is very educational. So we'll, we'll provide a link to it below. Uh, the transcript of the appellate court argument. And Judicial Watch Senior Attorney James Peterson, who's been handling this case, uh, uh, Jim argued to the three-judge panel, I'll quote Jim here, uh, the case is about shedding light on unprecedented and illegitimate congressional subpoenas. The extraordinary subpoenas at issue represent a supposedly unlimited government surveillance power and an unlimited ability by Congress to, at their whim, to invade the privacy of any American. Congressman Schiff secretly subpoenaed the phone records of a number of private citizens from telephone companies. He did not provide notice to these individuals in advance that their phone records were being sought. He did not subpoena the phone records directly from the citizens. Instead, he subpoenaed the phone companies for the records, preventing any opportunity for the private citizens to see court review, as would happen in any other case where the government is seeking this kind of information about any citizen. So you may worry about NSA spying on you or the FBI or the CIA or whoever, but those Fourth Amendment and other constitutional protections you have against the unlawful search and seizure of your records and the privacy of your papers and such, Congress thinks they're not they don't apply to them. Courts have no jurisdiction. Judicial Watch can't even ask questions about them or get answers about its questions. We can't see the documents. They do whatever they want. Take whatever document they want from you. Get your phone history. Get your internet history. Get your emails. Maybe they can start wiretapping you. Who knows? Now, how did the judges consider this case? I don't know. It's hard to tell. You can read the deputy. You can read the transcript themselves. They're, they certainly are considering it carefully, which is all we want, really, in the end, don't we? We obviously want a good decision, uh, but we want a fair hearing. And uh, I complain about the courts a lot, uh, but we, you know, we normally get fair hearings. Sometimes the results is preordained, but you know, you get fair hearings. But here, reading between the tea leaves, it looks like the court was interested in this case. So, you know, that's that's a, that's half the battle. In response to a House attorney's argument that the materials be kept secret to protect the privacy, they released the details of these records, and then they come back and say we can't give you the subpoenas themselves because of the privacy of these people that we whose rights we violated. One of the judges remarked, and sharing this obvious. <laughs> you know, uh, this obvious surprise at that argument. Well, I do think it's, if not ironic, noteworthy that one of the interests you've just put forward is the invasion of privacy when the whole claim of Judicial Watch is that this committee 
invaded the privacy of private citizens in the first place. So what's going to happen? Uh, the court took the, you know, the hearings over and uh, they're going to decide whether or not to overturn the decision below it or do something else. Um, and hopefully we can get the records. You know, to be clear, as I said, the Pelosi Schiff House asserts it has an unlimited government surveillance power and an unlimited ability to invade the privacy of any American with zero accountability and transparency. The court should reject Adam Schiff's and Nancy Pelosi's corrupt cover-up of the unconstitutional subpoenas that abused the civil rights of then-President Trump, Rudy Giuliani, journalists, and other American citizens. So I want to ask you something. Do you think it's outrageous that you're only hearing about this from me? Meaning Judicial Watch. If it weren't for Judicial Watch, no one would be doing jack about this. You know, I saw on the news, uh, Matt Gates is facing some sort of scandal. Uh, he's being investigated allegedly by the Justice Department, who I don't trust to investigate uh, jaywalking at this time. And of course, what happened is the, uh, the House announced that they were going to do an ethics investigation into Matt Gates. Three minutes after you invest, after the scandal breaks. Now, they've similarly been sitting on well-founded, good faith ethics requests, ethics investigation requests on shift for illegally um, leaking or improperly leaking classified information, confirming the existence of classified information, despite him being a senior official in the intelligence committee and improperly communicating with witnesses in an effort to destroy Trump. And we have ethics complaints pending against Alan Omar over the marriage and tax and campaign scandals that she's been implicated in. Now, that ethics committee has done jack. They haven't done anything with those investigations or whether they're not doing anything as all, at all, as I, best I can tell. But Gates, immediately they go after him. And that only happens with the acquiescence of the Republican leadership because the House Ethics Committee, unlike other committees in the House, is equally divided between Democrats and Republicans. And it's kind of a mutually assured projection. Uh, 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 destruction pact because it ensures that the committee can only operate with the acquiescence of at least one member of the majority or minority, depending on who's running the House. So it doesn't matter who's running the House. So the Democrats can't investigate a Republican without at least one Republican and vice versa. Republicans can't investigate a Democrat without one Democrat. Now, hopefully there are issues where that should not be an issue, but these are politicians sitting in judgment over politicians. So it's an imperfect process, obviously, and it's one that the Constitution kind of defers to the House on quite specifically. But you can presume that House leadership allowed, because they are creatures of House leadership on that committee, those members to allow the Gates investigation to go forward. And they've made zero noise about the lack of House ethics action on Schiff, on Omar, and there are all sorts of other ethics issues. I mean, just think of Swalwell now that I think about it. He's been implicated in potentially um, 
putting the entire house at risk as a result of a, a untoward relationship with a, a Chinese spy, communist spy. I'm going to always point out they're communists here. Not doing anything on it. And so where, where's the Republicans on this issue? Do they believe the House can spy on you? You hear anyone talking about it other than me, other than Judicial Watch? Of course not. And this is why Judicial Watch is essential, because we provide leadership. We stand in the gap on these core corruption issues and core government accountability issues. As I often say, we do the heavy lifting and it would never be done but for Judicial Watch. So pray for the wisdom and discernment uh, uh, that the Lord gives, grants these judges the wisdom and discernment to come to the right conclusion and give us the documents. But uh, giving shifts terrible abuses of power as a member of Congress, uh, it should be noted that only Judicial Watch is doing something about it. Not Congress, not Republicans, certainly not Democrats, and certainly not much the media is as well. So again, this is why I love Judicial Watch. Oh. <coughs> Excuse me. So another major issue for the uh, anti-American left is this idea of reparations. And the theory is that because um, uh, we had slavery in the United States uh, that ended uh, uh, during and after the Civil War, that the descendants of slaves should get some reparations of some type, typically taxpayer-funded reparations. Now, the moral and legal issues with that are, to me, quite self-evident. They're not evident to the left that uh, you just, you, you know, first of all, the Democratic Party uh, and I don't want to be partisan here, but the Democratic Party has been pushing this as well. Uh, you know, they they see uh, reparations as a way uh, to take care of people they perceive to be voters by either count, uh, playing games by suggesting they're open to it, or in the case of Evanston, Illinois, specifically doing it. Evanston, Illinois recently announced that uh, it's the, the city council in March, just March 22nd, authorized the implementation of the Evanston Local Reparations Restorative Housing Program and program budget. The program allocates $10 million to provide $25,000 to Black African American individuals who are either Evanston residents or direct descendants of Evanston residents to the exclusion of all other residents or direct descendants of residents. So this is a race-based program based on your appearance. The problem with reparations is it punishes those who are not responsible and gives money to people who may not be damaged. It's a theory of damage that has really no basis in the law. I mean, it'd be one thing if the, uh, the generation of slaves that were released either by Lincoln under the Emancipation Proclamation or under the 13th Amendment and such, were compensated by the government in some way. I mean, that's you're at least dealing with the generation that was harmed. But the idea that because your ancestors 
may have been harmed, or in this case, may not have been harmed. And we're talking generations and generations. It's at least, I, I, I don't have the generations at the top of my head. Was it five? Is it five or six generations? It's at least six generations, right? I'm sure you'll correct me all. I mean, that's, that's lawlessness, the idea that you punish or benefit people based on the activities of their ancestors of more than 150 years ago. And so we asked for records from Eveston. We got right on it because we saw that this was a racially abusive law. As I say in the release, as we say in the release, this is from our lawsuit. We put it in the lawsuit. Concern that this program violates the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution, as well as other state and federal laws, Judicial Watch opened an investigation into the program and requested information under the Illinois Freedom of Information Act. And this is what I, I'm going to read. I don't often read what we asked for, but these records highlight in some way the problems with the reparations program, the requests. Records identifying discriminatory housing policies and practices that the restorative housing reparation program seeks to remedy. It's one thing to say that there was discrimination, but what, what are you talking about? Records identifying the ways in which the restorative housing reparations program will remedy discriminatory housing policies and practices. Records identifying all methods of remedying, remedying discriminatory housing policies and practices the Evanston City Council examined before enacting, enacting the Restorative Housing Reparations Program. Records identifying all reasons why the Evanston City Council enacted the Restorative Reparations Program instead of any alternative method of remedying discriminatory housing policies and practices. Records relating to the development of criteria by which recipients of the restorative housing reparations program funds will be selected. Tell us how you're gonna figure out who gets what. Records identifying the ways in which providing restorative housing reparation programs funds to the selected recipients will remedy discriminatory housing policies and practices. I mean, that's one of the interesting issues about reparations. Is one payment enough? How does that fix? the legacy of racism, if that's what they're truly concerned about. The equivalent of a stimulus check, what is it? How much money is it? And is it ever going to be enough money? Taking their concerns at face value. Records relating to any other discrimination of any kind, regardless of racial group. The Everson City Council considered re remedying as part of the restorative housing program or any other proposed reparation programs. And of course, they were they failed to search for the records. They tried to, they didn't provide the requested records, which I think is interesting. So we sued. And as I said, a government program that provides taxpayer money to individuals based on race plainly violates the law. Plainly. The city of Evanston is unlawfully hiding records about its extremist reparations program. This isn't regular politics folks this is extremism dangerous extremism 
that will spend tax dollars in a racially discriminatory manner. So do you support reparations? You think it's a good idea? Do you think your children and your children's children should pay for the sins of their fathers? Assuming their fathers are even involved. Maybe, maybe, maybe it will require us to certify that our families are slave owner free. But of course, the left doesn't believe any of that. This is all part of this leftist agenda to destroy this country using the 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 uh, under the in the crucible of racial division. I don't know if that metaphor works, but it sounds good to me. They think if you're one color, you are an aggressor and you're tainted. And they think everything in America is tainted by irredeemable racism. And they're using it as an excuse to uh, have a communist overthrow of the government. That's what they're advocating. You know, you don't hear, you know, you haven't heard me say communist a lot prior to the last half year or so, but that's what we're facing. We're in a revolutionary period here and reparations are part of that. It, it will undo the great American experiment. It will undo it. Uh, and I want to talk about something else briefly before I go. I've expressed concern about the cha cognitive challenges of President Biden and it continues to be a big issue, and I'm going to keep on talking about it. I don't have much to say about it other than it continues to be a big issue. He's largely AWOL from public discussions, and what triggered this uh, response is I saw Vice President Harris had a, a public meeting with the Prime Minister of Japan. Where is the President of the United States? That the head of government for an uh, important ally like Japan and trading power meets with the number two? Is the president able to do his job? And I'm going to keep on asking that question. And some people respond, well, we don't want President, Vice President Harris to take over. Well, you know, I don't like the policies of of but that's not the issue. The issue is, are we going to have someone who is capable of doing the job, even if we don't like their decisions? It's disturbing because, you know, this is a, you know, we have us, you know, our allies make decisions based on the strength of our leadership. As the left liked to tell us when, when they were screaming about Trump's tweets. Here we have a president. People have reasonable questions about his age-related cognitive decline and other physical issues. And we're not allowed to ask questions about that and not worry that our enemies see opportunities in that power vacuum that results from having a president not fully engaged with his job. Forgive me for raising the issue, but I leave that thought with you until next time. Uh, and if you like what you hear and you want to hear more about it, uh, go to our website at judicialwatch.org. Uh, I encourage you to do that because 
you can share your email with us and get direct communications with us. And frankly, you should share your mailing address with us. So if and possibly when big tech shuts down our ability to communicate effectively with you here, uh, these videos or on our social media platforms, at least we can send you a letter. I'm serious about it. These are dangerous times we're living in in terms of our freedoms and our right to communicate, our right to petition our government and our other God-given liberties. So stay track of Judicial Watch because uh, we're going to do the best we can to defend you, the American people. Thank you very much, and I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.